good to see some of you again. If you don't know me by now, he said I am Minister Pierre Keyes, the youth and young adult pastor of Third Baptist Church of Chicago. I'm so glad to be here. Um, I'm always elated whenever I get an invite to stand before you. Um, you are a great church. I feel the joy in here, and I sense the Spirit of God in your hearts. Amen. 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 I want to read um, to you a brief scripture, uh, really brief. If you have your Bibles and or tablets, uh, it's customary uh, in my tradition to stand for the Word of God. But can you stand while I read this uh, brief scripture? As soon as I read it, you're going to sit back down. That's how short it is. And it's found in Judges chapter 3, verses 31. Judges chapter 3, verse 31. You can see it on the screen. And it reads this way, and I'm reading from the NRSV. After him came Shamgar, son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with the ox gold. No, he too delivered Israel, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I want to thank my daughter, Jordan, who is with me today. She's powered through the snow. Woke up early and she's here. Daddy, thanks you for coming. Amen. Thank you. I want to preach from this uh, thematic thrust this morning, the power of one. The power of one. Y'all got to do me a favor. I do this every time I preach. Turn to the next part, the person next to you and say, the power of one. Come on. The power of one. The power of one. All right. All right. I want you to get that in your spirit. I love to read. Any avid readers in the house? I, I, I love to read. Growing up, it was the Hardy Boys for me. Uh, my favorite book was uh, Judy Blooms and uh, Super Fudge. Was my favorite book, classic book. But now, I love to read uh, the genre of literature called biographies. I love a good biography. And I can sit and read a biography in just a week or two. And it's not just any type of biography that I enjoy. It's those long, thick, lengthy biographies that I want to soak into. I like biographies. Uh, they're filled with the details and intricacies of a person's life that had they not wrote the biography, we wouldn't know anything about their life. One of my favorite biographies is the biography of Malcolm X, uh, written by Manny Marable. The book is over 600 pages, y'all. Uh, one of my other favorite biographies is the autobiography of Martin Luther King by Claiborne Carson. It's about 400 pages, and it details about the life and the triumphs and trials of Martin Luther King in his own words. One of the largest sections in the library is that of biographies. Uh, this genre of literature takes a considerable amount of time to read because it's filled with a person's life, their struggles, their triumphs. These stories require a lot of ink and length and paper to write about. 
Um, um, you can't read this just in one day. These are just biographies. But that's what makes this text so interesting this morning because all we know about Shamgar is summed up in just one verse. He does not comment about his life. There is no insight into how he thought, um, how he behaved. We don't have any famous Shamgar quotes. Uh, we don't know anything about his background and how he may have matriculated through the ranks of, uh, to be a judge in Israel. All we have is just one verse. And it says that he too delivered Israel. Are y'all with me so far? He's a judge. You know what the judges are, right? It's a, uh, they're leaders of Israel. Um, uh, before they had a king, they had these positions called the judge. It was a political and a military position. Uh, you, you've heard of the judges. And each time that Israel would, will disobey God and fall to idolatry, uh, God would give them over to their enemies. Uh, but each time they called on the name of the Lord, God sent a judge to deliver them and fight their battles. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You, you, you know the judges. It starts with that baby that was floating in the basket of, of the Nile River whom God speaks from a burning bush who God used to free Israel. God turns his rod into a tool of liberation and he parts the Red Sea. You, you know the judges. Moses has a successor. His name is Joshua and Joshua meets God on the hillside and one day God tells Joshua, here's what I want you to do. March around Jericho six times silently and on the seventh day for six times I want you to shout and the Bible says that the walls came tumbling down. You know the judges, uh, 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 you, uh, Deborah and Barak, they have supernatural experience with God, and God gives them victory over the Canaanites. You know the judges, Gideon, who has 10,000 soldiers. God takes them down to 300, and he defeats his enemies with a lamp and a horn. You know the judges, old man Samson, the strongest man in the world, who rips lions apart with his bare hands takes city gates off the, its hinges, who ties fires to foxes' tails and runs them through Philistine armies. You know Samson, the one who brought down an entire temple and defeats more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. You know the judges. Then there's Samuel, who anoints Saul and David, the first two kings of Israel, and speaks and hears from God. Each of these judges were mighty in battle and were key to Israel's life who were who helped Israel defeat their enemies that sought to harm the people of God these men and women are known in our Sunday school lessons but then there's Shamgar but the Bible says he also gave Israel the victory just like Moses just like Joshua just like Gideon, just like Deborah and Barak, just like Samuel, Shamgar also delivered Israel. Here's what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Uh, everybody ain't going to be famous like Moses. Everybody doesn't get the same amount of ink and press as a Joshua. 
Everybody won't have songs written about them like Samson and Samuel. Everybody won't achieve the same level of notoriety. It might be, please listen, friends, that you may have to serve in your role in this season without the level of popularity or, or fame your flesh might crave. You might have to serve without the applause, accolades, without the awards, without the celebration. But here's the good news, is that you don't have to be popular to be powerful. You don't have to be famous to be impactful. God can use you to do great things even if your whole story is told in just one verse. Church, it's our addiction to attention that robs us from the joy of being impactful. That's my opinion. It's our addiction to attention. It's the likes and the loves and the hearts on Facebook. It's the retweets. It is the, the gone girls over a glass of wine. It's our addiction to attention. And I want to call us, call us out of errantly assessing our worth based on the incorrect criteria of popularity. Stop thinking that to be somebody, you got to be known by nobodies. Who are they to validate you anyway? Who are they to affirm you anyway? Who are they to say you are not useful to God? Listen, validation and affirmation doesn't come from them. It comes from him. How he sees you is all that matters. Here's the lesson that Shamgar teaches us. The significance of your impact for the kingdom of God is not determined by the length of your tenure or the breadth of your notoriety, but by the depth of your commitment to your assignment. So I'll catch it. Say that again. The significance of your impact in God's kingdom is not determined by the length of your tenure. I don't care if you've been here since they opened the doors of the church the first time. Or the breadth of your notoriety I don't care if you got 5,000 Facebook friends and you can't accept anymore, but by the depth of your commitment to your assignment, we have to leave today understanding that we got to use our gifts for the glory of God and for the good of others, even when we're not celebrated. Amen? If you're going to live effectively in the kingdom of God, you have to uh, do two things. Three, actually. You got to embrace who you are. Use what you have and understand what you're capable of. Y'all may want to write this down. If you're going to be used effectively in God's kingdom, embrace who you are. Use what you have and understand what you're capable of. Shamgar is able to live out his purpose without popularity because he embraces who he is. Notice the text says that after Ehud, there was Shamgar, the son of Anath. Who is Shamgar? I know y'all been wondering that because when I first read this verse, I didn't know who Shamgar is. He's not in the hall of faith. No one's dressing for Shamgar on hallelujah nights. <laughs> who, who, who is Shamgar and how does he embrace his purpose 
without chasing popularity. Listen, I know his name is odd, but his name means stranger or foreigner. Let the church say stranger. But it also means sword. His parents named him stranger and sword. I thought my name was weird. <laughs> but his parents named him stranger and sword. Each time his mama would call him to come in the house and tell him to clean his room, she would say, come here, stranger. Each time his dad would say, hey, it's time to take out the garbage. Stranger, get in here and take that garbage out. Uh, what, what, wherever he went, he was reminded that he was a stranger. But what I love what his parents did is that they put on him an identity for him to live up to right at his birth. You have to remember, friends, that Shamgar is born in a culture where fitting in and being accepted is part and parcel to Hebrew life. Let me say it this way. Um, in Scripture, names denote a person's nature. It was either descriptive of who you were or it was prophetic of who you would be one day. Your name said everything about you. Your name describes something about the individual or predicted something about the individual. His parents have some prophetic insight. There's something different about this boy. And there's something uh, than the other children around him. So we got to give him a name that would help him embrace his difference rather than shun his difference. And maybe part of your frustration in life is that we're so busy trying to fit in when God has created us to stand out. You're not called to be like everyone else. You weren't called to act like everyone else. I'm talking to some kids in here. You, you, you're not called to think like everyone else. A God did not need a copy of the person you're trying to duplicate. God did not call you to fit in and assimilate. And maybe God needs you to be who he called you to be because someone else's life is depending on who God created you to be. So who you are is not just for your glory, but to help someone else get through whatever it is they're going through. You're different, church, on purpose. Let me fix that. You're different for a purpose. Text says he's killed 600 Philistines with the ox gold. Now, I'm not the brightest person in the room, so I had to go look up what in the world is an ox gold. It's a six-foot long wooden farming tool, and it has two tips on each end. It has a small shovel tip and a long metal tip on the other end. And it's a tool used for farming uh, to go with the ox. Uh, when oxes got tired of plowing the field, they would use the pointy tip to encourage the ox to keep going. It was a tool of correction. It was a way of telling the ox, we're not done yet. You still have work to do. You can rest once you're done, but you still got some plowing to do. You're Shamgar this morning. But can you be the ox for the minute? 
Too often in life and in ministry, we become complacent on where we are in life. We have a, a tendency to rest on our blessed assurances. Uh, we become stagnant when there's work to do, but God has a way of poking us to motivate us to do the work that he set out for us to do. You're not done just yet. I know that, friends, because he woke you up this morning. I don't care how long you've been serving. I don't care what you did in the past. There's still work to do. You're not done plowing. And some of us get frustrated and walk away from ministry, from relationships, and from commitments because we don't see any progress. But God sent me here to poke you this morning and give you a poke of purpose. Even when you don't see immediate results of all the work you put in, keep on plowing. Keep on working. The Bible says, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. The other end of the ox gold was important too. That shovel was needed as much as the pointing tip. What would happen was that when the ox was plowing, the ox would get stuck in, in mud. And the farmer would use the other end of the ox gold, use the shovel to get the ox out the mud. The dirt would get stuck between the husk of the ox. The plowman would scrape the mud and the muck off the ox so the ox could keep moving and going forward. I'm trying to tell someone this morning, life would muck you up. It would put some stuff on you to keep you from being all that God intended you to be. But God knows how to get the mud out of your heart, the mud out of your mind, the mud out of your life. And right now, you have so much mud in your life, you can't seem to press your way forward. But God promises to remove the muck and the mud that's keeping you from going where he wants you to be. That's the theology of Oxgold. God says, with the tool of my word, I can cleanse your mind and declutter your heart and remind you of what really matters. I'm almost finished. Shamgar turns a tool for farming into a tool for fighting. Remember, it's a farming tool. And he uses it as a tool to fight. What he has is already in his hands. I forgot to tell you that uh, his name means stranger. I told you that, but it also means sword. And generally, when you fight, you need a sword. But here is Shamgar with a farming tool. He has to use what's in his hands. Here it is. When you embrace who you are correctly, you'll see what you have differently. Because some of you are waiting on God to give you what you think you need to do, what you are called to do, and God says you don't need an it when you understand your who. 
And God says, you are the weapon. You are the sword. You are the call. You are the chosen. You get all that you need to complete the work that I've assigned to you. So even if you get a high school diploma or just a GED, even if you don't have the social connections and you haven't climbed up the, the, the societal class, uh, God says that I have gave you everything on the inside to get, give you the victory about of, against anything that comes against you. But you got to embrace who you are. Use what you have. And finally, church, understand what you're capable of. What makes Shamgar unique is that when you read about all of the other judges, they always had someone fighting with them, an army or a tribe to help them fight. Not Shamgar. So we're going to take this text at face value. He kills 600 Philistines all by himself. To understand the significance of this, you have to understand that the Philistines were an advanced military. Uh, They had the tanks, the missiles, and the rockets. They were advanced technologically with warfare. Uh, They were marine fighters. They invented the chariot. They had weapons of advance. But here is old Shamgar by himself with ox gold. He's outnumbered, undersupplied, but he also is underestimated. He has no help, nobody to read about in the text has come along to help him. He's all by himself. He has no one on speed dial. He doesn't call and ask his big brothers to come and help him. He's in a fight all by himself. Listen, friends, I'm not telling you that this is an ode to individualism. What I'm saying is when the situation seems insurmountable, God is on your side. I believe God is nudging us this morning that it's always good to have help, but it ain't always necessary. If you want to help me, I'll appreciate it. But if you don't help me, I'm not going to fall apart and lose my mind. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to throw in the towel because God has put inside of me that even when the numbers are against me, I have enough in me to get the victory. Greater is he that is in me that is than he that is than in the world. One is enough, friends. One man one ox gold, one verse, and he still gets the victory. Was another man whose whole life could be told in just one verse. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. One verse, Romans 5, 8 says, but God commanded, commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His whole life is summed up in just one verse, one man, one gospel, but one Friday on a hill called Calvary. He bled for you and I, gave his life for our sins, 
But one Sunday, God turned Friday's terror into Sunday's triumph. Amen? Amen. God bless you. God bless you. I don't know if you feel like life has been so hard because you don't have any help. Maybe family and friends have walked out on you, or maybe they're around, but they offer no help. And you feel defeated and depressed because you think that you are in this world all alone. But God wants to stand with you. And he's nudging you this morning to let you know that I'm all you need. In fact, you can't judge my power by numbers. If I am with you, who can come against you? One man, one God is all you need. Praise God for the word. Amen. Thank you.